0: Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will show us how we all need to be teachers as we continue learning from his expository teaching in Genesis. This message is available for free download at friendshipwithgod.org.
1: Father, we come to you this morning very needy, and we know that for every single one of our needs, God has. And so we come to you this morning... Needing to be fed by the Word of God. We need the Word that comes from the mouth of God. Speak to us this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, now, Genesis 1, and uh, we're making progress, I guarantee you. And uh, here we are. And uh, it says, In the beginning God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved, it hovered upon the face of the waters, and God said, Let there be light, and there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness, and God called the light day, and the darkness He called night, and the evening and the morning were The first day. They were day one. Now, I'm going to show you, we're going to start off with review, and I'm going to show you three verses. And these three verses have the same word in it. They have the same Hebrew word, three different English words. And the game is, you're going to tell me which one of the words, the English words, is the same three words. Do you understand? I barely understand myself, but I hope you understand. First, is Genesis one two. Okay, that's where we are. Just keep in mind this review. God was with no the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. Okay, that's the first verse. Okay. Now Deuteronomy thirty two eleven. Deuteronomy thirty two eleven. So turn to that. Deuteronomy thirty two eleven. You got it? Okay. Good. Don, would you read that verse for us, please? 32, 11, and 12. 11 and 12. As an eagle stirreth up her nest, fluttereth over her young, spreadeth abroad her wings, taketh them, beareth them on her wings. So the Lord alone did lead him, and there was no strange God with him. Okay, very good. Deuteronomy 32, 11 through 12. Now, the last verse is Jeremiah 23, 9. So you have five fingers on your hand, so you can you keep three places very easily mine heart within me is broken because of the prophets all my bones shake i am like a drunken man and like a man whom wine hath overcome because of the lord and because of the words of his holiness okay very good very good three verses one hebrew word three english words okay where is it in verse in genesis 1 2 which word is it move hover okay very good only used three times in the Bible. I've, this is the only three places where this word is used. Next place, Deuteronomy 32.11. Which one is it? Okay. Fluttereth. Okay, very good. And Jeremiah 23.9. Yeah, shake. Very good. Shake. Very important. The three words here. That's the word here that, we've been, that we studied last time. It's the root word, rachaf. Everybody put your hand over your mouth. Say rachaf. Say that. Gesundheit all right so that's tra- that's translated move which is the hover it's used as i mentioned these three times but these three pictures are a wonderful picture of this word rachaf and you can see from deuteronomy 32 11, that as the picture of the mother eagle and she is all concerned over her young and she sees her young and she's got the jewish mother syndrome that's what she does <laughs> and she's all about come on get up you need to fly you need to not be afraid of heights you can't be afraid of heights you're an eagle and so she's fussing over them and and spreads out those massive wings of hers and puts them up on her wings and then she starts off on the fly that's all to do and it starts with the word hover rakaf now you know it's so important what's so important for us to do so very important, is, is uh, in fact, turn to discuss, see how important this is, because you don't have to keep those other places anymore. So now turn to Luke 11.1. 1. Luke 11.1, 1. because here's something very, very important for us to do as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's what it says in Luke 11.1. 1. And it came to pass that as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. So, got the picture? We do have two groups here. We have followers of John. We have followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. And what's happening here? The followers of the Lord Jesus Christ are watching the Lord Jesus Christ pray. And they're saying within themselves, we don't know how to do that. We don't really know how to pray. And as a matter of fact, we've heard that the followers of John, they were taught how to pray. They know how to do that. So they come to him and said, now, Lord, he, you're our rabbi. It's not John the Baptist. So we're not going to go to him and ask him how to pray. So we're coming to you. And we're saying, look, you know, obviously you know how to pray. So teach us to pray. That's the context here. You know, we need to learn how to pray, too. It's very important to learn how to pray. And so we also can say to the Lord, Lord, teach us to pray. We think we know how to pray. We know Christianese. (laughs) We know the language. You know, we got the dictionary of cliches. We got it all down. We got the vocabulary down. We know what sparks God's interest. When he hears these, when he hears Christianese, then God says, oh, I understand that language. But that's not. <laughs> that's exactly what God has something to say about. God has something to say about Christianese. Look at Matthew 6, verse 7. See what he says about, about this Christianese, about about using the vocabulary and thinking that uh, somehow God is going to understand that language. Okay, now, notice what it says in Matthew 6-7. It says, When you pray, but when you pray, use not vain repetitions, as as the goyim, the heathen, the nations do. For they think that they're going to be heard, that they shall be heard for their much speaking. See, vain repetitions, much speaking. He says, okay, so here he tells us how not to pray. How, don't do that. Don't pray like that. Don't think that if you just say these words, or, or and, and that somehow that's going to spark God to say, wow, I've been waiting so long to hear that finally. No, no, no. He says, don't do that. Have you ever finished praying? And, 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 and you wondered, I wonder if my prayer really got through. I wonder if it got through to God. I wonder if I really connected up with heaven just now on that prayer. How can we correct that problem? What can we do? Well, first, pray intelligently. You know, don't turn this off. <laughs> don't, don't, don't turn this off when you pray. Pray with forethought. Pray with forethought. I'll just come into it. Okay, now I'm gonna pray. Okay, now I lay me down to sleep. I'll pray to the Lord and I am Okay, up, done. Okay. No, don't don't do that. He says, because prayer is like being a lawyer. Being a lawyer. Anybody in here a lawyer? Oh, okay. Anybody ever paid a lot of money to a lawyer? Anyway, be specific. In your requests, you know our business is a business of patents, and 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 everything is just about patents, and patents means court, and court means lawyers and, law- and judges, and unfortunately, we spent too much, too many weeks in court. And I remember the judge. Oh, well, I won't say anything about it right now, but anyway, I remember a judge, or no, I remember judge judges. I, I remember judges several occasions saying to the lawyers, what are you asking the court to do? In other words, he was saying, what are you asking the the judge to do? And I remember in one case several times thinking to myself, well, our team is three lawyers, the average of which is $500 an hour. So it's $1,500 an hour sitting on our side. And, and I don't know what that is per minute, per second. It's very expensive, you know. You, 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 paying a lawyer, uh, paying a team like that, you actually can, can spend less money standing out on a street corner handing $10 bills to everybody can as fast as you can. <laughs> anyway, so, the, the, and, and, I, and I remember saying to myself, come on, you guys, be specific. The judges asked for the specific. Be specific. We're paying you too much money to sit there and be vague. Well, God is the same way. He's the same way. When we come to God, we need to make our our request specific, very specific. If 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 I was God and I just heard, Lord, just bless him, and just bless him, I would think, I would also say, What do you want me to do? God say, Okay, well I'll wait till I get a specific request. So pray intelligently. Pray intelligently. Now, what that also means in intelligent prayer is to couple what you know about God with a specific need. That's your, that's the job you bring together. I got a need over here. I know something specific about God. Get that thing there. I'll couple it together and I'll make the argument based on that. That's a good lawyer. That's a very good lawyer. And that's what God said. And that's to get on the same page as God. Is the way I see why I put that? It's not to get God on our page. It's us to get on God's page. It's to get on God's page. Because prayer is not forcing the hand of God. That's not what prayer is. It's not forcing the hand of God. It's asking God to do what he wants to do. But he's withholding, waiting for prayer. See. So what we must do is to find out what does God want to do. And then say, that's what I want to do. And then ask Him for that. That's the prayers. Now, in order to do that, we need to know what God wants to do, which means we need to know God. We need to know about God, and this verse in Deuteronomy thirty two eleven is very important for prayer because the word rakhaf in this verse tells us something very important about God. What does it tell us? It tells us that our God is a fluttering God. He's a God who hovers. He's a hovering God. He's a God who's got the concerned hovering. He's, got, he, he's the cons- God with the concern hovering. Now, we think about that. We store that in our arsenal of, of, of arguments. So you argue, you argue, you argue, you know? And that's what prayer is. And so you argue. In other words, you bring this to God and you say, Oh, God, you are a God who moves and hovers over your creation. You care. You're concerned about it. And you made this person, and because you care for that person, I'm asking you to couple the need. Okay? And say, oh, God, you care so much that you flutter over your own. You know, God, you have the Jewish mother syndrome. You know, you can say those things in prayer. So I'm calling on you to hover over. The care and the concern. You, God, it says when you saw the multitude, you were moved with compassion. So you're a God who gets moved with compassion. Lord, Lord, look there. Move, get moved with compassion. That's the kind of arguments that God wants to hear in prayer. Now, that's very important we can learn from Rakaf. The other verse in Jeremiah 23.9 tells us another thing about the word Rakaf. Jeremiah 23.9, you remember when the prophet said, my bones shake. At the, because of the words of God, the words of his holiness. This has to do with teaching. This has to do with teaching. You know, we're all to be teachers. Did you know that? We are all called to be teachers. If you have children, grandchildren, or even somebody else's children, doesn't matter, is, is you are called upon to be teachers, teachers. That was the thing that God said to Israel twice in the very famous Shema part. Hear, O Israel. And you go down further in Deuteronomy 11, 18 through 19, where he says, You lay up these words in my heart (coughs) and in your soul. Find them for a sign upon your hand. that may be as frontlets between your eyes. And ye shall teach them unto your children. No, you shall teach them your children. Speaking of them, and that's teaching. When thou sittest in thine house, and thou walkest by the way, liest down when thou risest up. See, teaching, teaching, teaching. Have you ever thought how the Great Commission is a command to teach? Have you ever thought about that? The Great, oh, I thought the Great Commission was just just go there and preach, preach them into heaven. No, no, it says it's a command to teach. What does it say in Matthew 28? The Great Commission, go ye into all the world, and what? And teach all nations. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the earth. Teaching, teaching, teaching. It's a call to teaching. We need to be good teachers.
0: Tom, today you talked about the importance of teaching. What kind of teachers does God want us to be?
1: Oh, that's an excellent question because you could, uh, from what was said today, what the Bible says, you could say to yourself, good night, I didn't go to college to become a teacher. I don't feel I'm a teacher. Uh, That's just not my calling. It's not my gift. And is that what it means? Well, not really, because the kind of teaching that God is talking about here is not professional. It's what we might call confessional. It means that when you teach God's word, it's that... God's word has so infiltrated you, it's so permeated your very being, it's so much you, that really all you're doing is you're explaining who you are and what makes you tick and what you, it's not It's not like, well, wait a minute, I'll go to my shelf and I'll pull out my book about uh, systematic theology and good doctrine and I'll find the right page and I'll read it to you or I'll teach it to you. It's not that at all. But it's teaching what people really need to see and what they need to understand is how do i do this it's not how do i know this but how do i do this so it's really coupling together what the bible says and how you have translated that into your life where it's it's in action it's the bible in action you teach not only by your words but you teach by your life. That's why someone can come up to you and say something like, say, sir, what's the gospel according to you? What they're really meaning is, what is the gospel that your life is preaching? And so it's not only your words, but it's your life. And it's, you might explain to people, look, I do this because the Bible says this, or, or I don't do this because the Bible says this. That's teaching. That's applicational teaching. And that's the kind of teaching that God wants to have happen. That's why he's saying to you, saying to us, foremost, in Deuteronomy 6 and in Deuteronomy 11, he's talking to the fathers and he says, teach your children. And teach them when you get up and when you walk and when you lie down and all the time. Teach them. You can't teach that way unless you're meditating on the Word of God, unless the Word of God is on your mind, unless unless it's your your amusement, it's your recreation, it's what you choose to think about. And when that is true, when you're in that blessed state, blessed is the man, when you're that kind of Psalm 1 believer, then what's going to happen is that you're going to speak, And when you speak, it's going to be about God and it's going to be about the Bible and you're going to teach. And that's the kind of teacher
0: that God wants us to be. That's wonderful. And you also spoke about 2 Timothy 2.25, which talks about instructing people who oppose themselves. How does a person oppose themselves? It's a very interesting
1: term. I mean, the verse in 2 Timothy 2.25, where it says, in meekness instructing those that oppose themselves. If you just take that first part of the verse and you just ask the very question that you've asked... And you say, what is a person who opposes himself? Can you imagine if you were a teacher and you had a class and you put out in front of the classroom? Now all the students that come in here, all these students we want are the students who are opposing themselves. I mean, you'd think that you'd be in a psychotic ward or something like that. People that oppose themselves. But that's exactly how God describes the lost. They oppose themselves. Why? Because... The God, the Adonai, the Adonalom, the king of the universe, the the ruler of the universe of which there is none else, God himself, all powerful. You know, when there's a man who raises his fist to that all powerful one, he, he you got to be a friend to that person and to teach them is really to side up to them constantly and ask them the question, excuse me, do you really think you can win this war? You really think you can pull them down? You really think that you could, you can stand over God like David did with a sword and cut off God's head? You really think so? And, so, and, and of course, he can't do that. It's absolutely impossible. So for him to stand there and shake his fist up at the Almighty God, who's giving him his very next breath to breathe, who only has to look at him and to reduce him to a pile of ashes, for him to do that is to oppose himself. And so, therefore, the 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 teacher has got to be gentle. That's why the verse says, in meekness. In other words, if you really want to win over that person, then what you have to do is to go there and to consider. You say, look, you know, I understand what you're doing. I used to be there. I used to do that. Let me help you. Let me show you. Yet, Let me gently and with comfort show you See, that's how you teach a person in meekness who opposes himself. It's the exact opposite of going in there and saying, you're stupid for trying to fight God. And all only that, you're personally offensive to me. So what do you think about that? No, no, it's the exact opposite pole of meekly and with compassion saying, you know what? I used to be there. And I understand, and I want to help you. Let me help you, friend. See, that's what it means to, in meekness,
0: instruct those that impose themselves. And that's a great way of explaining how to teach someone who opposes themselves. But what is the ultimate goal of teaching somebody who opposes himself? You know, the ultimate goal
1: is exactly what God said in Second 2 Timothy 2.25. He says that we are in meekness to instruct those that oppose themselves. And then he says, if God, peradventure, will give them repentance to the acknowledging of the truth. See, when you take those words, they give us our marching orders and they give us such clues because it says here that the goal is repentance. And what does repentance mean? that when they come to acknowledge the truth. So when they're opposing themselves, they're they're not acknowledging the truth, they're saying it's not true, it's not true. There is no God, there is no heaven, there is no hell. It's the John Lennon song, imagine there's no religion, imagine there's no heaven, imagine there's no hell. See, that's the description of the person who's opposing themselves because he's not acknowledging the truth. What's the truth? The truth is there is a heaven, there is a hell. He's walking right down the middle of the road to hell because of his sin, because of his rebellion, because of his refusal to take the lamb of God as God's free gift salvation to him. And he is in that state opposing himself. And God says that person needs to be saved. And God says the way to salvation for that person is repentance. And so The goal of instructing somebody who opposes themselves is to bring them to repentance. 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 Repentance means an about-face. An about-face of what? An about-face on how they view themselves. How do they view themselves? Well, the truth is, the Bible truth is, We are bankrupt before God. God has descriptions. They go like this. You're poor, you're wretched, you're miserable, you're blind, you're naked. That's the truth. That's what the Bible says about us. But as opposed to that, people who oppose themselves say, I'm rich, I have need of nothing, I'm increased with goods, I'm really it, I'm the cat's meow, see? So your goal, our goal is to bring them to acknowledge the truth, no. To bring them to acknowledge the truth and then the other thing which they don't see in their view is God. They say there is no God or he's busy or he, He's. I'm an agnostic I don't really know very much about him, I don't know, need to know anything about him and, and so you come and you say no, no, no. God is, and God is very present, and God is waiting for you. He wants to be your best friend, and you can be a, his friend. See, that and bringing them to that point is bringing them over from the no God to the God is everything. That's repentance. And then the next part is finally to, to to have them confess their sin. Where this, they go from they don't have sin to where they confess their sin. That's bringing a person who opposes himself to acknowledge the truth in repentance.
0: Thank you for joining us today. Tomorrow, Tom Cantor will continue with his expository messages from Genesis. Today's message and previous messages are available for listening, or free to download from our websites at friendshipwithgod.org or IsraelRestoration.org. There you can learn more about Tom Cantor and study more about Friendship with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. You can also contact us directly by phone if you'd like to receive a copy of today's broadcast or other resource or materials. Call us at one 800 247 3051 Once again, that's one 800 247-3051. You can also find us on Facebook or you can send an email to Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. We'd like to hear more about what you like about friendship with God. Join us again tomorrow as we continue our study from the Bible.